Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We're a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoy this week's message by our guest speaker. Before I kind of share what I have to share, uh, and every time I come here, you make that uh, more difficult than the time before because I get caught up in what God is doing with everything and just sitting there I've got three or more three or four more different sermons I would just love to <laughs> to bring about missions and outreach and protection and but I will say from the music uh, through all the things that were shared in the prophecies uh, what I'm bringing today God God dovetailed it into all of that um, I want to bring greetings from the Center of Hope to you all. Uh, it was uh, Willard Jarvis and Bob Swanger from formerly the, you know, the Christ King Church. They were two of the very first pastors nearly 40 years ago that got behind what back then was called Victory Mission. And, of course, all of you know that, uh, well, maybe not all of you, but most of you know I'm a Redeemer alumni. Uh, I was uh, saved, uh, actually came to Christ when I went home from Ohio State the summer of 1973, uh, but baptized in the Holy Spirit and a Redeemer's home group over on Olentangy Street uh, that same year and was in this church uh, when it was in the... um, wing over to the left, my left, and I still remember the time where, uh, of course, the this was Gordon and Brother Warren and uh, uh, Dick um, Allen, and that, that group, those were uh, Bill Brooks. <laughs> These were the early guys that endured me during that time because one night during a worship service over there, it was that Sunday nights are always special, Remember those of remember when we had Sunday nights at places? They were always special because the people that came Sunday night really wanted to be yeah. there. They really wanted to be there, and God, God would uh, uh, always show up. And uh, there was one night that uh, I was with a guy named uh, Whitey Shorts, and the praise was going on, and he said, "Jump on my back," and I did. <laughs> and we ran around the sanctuary. We had church. I didn't think a thing of it until it put me down, and I remember thinking, I was, I was 19 years old. I just had been saved. My hair was still down the middle of my back, which is no, no, not a problem with that, but it, I, was, I was still had my grave clothes on. I had the overalls that I wore, whether I, I didn't wash them but once a month, whether they needed it or not. And uh, so my heart, something special happens to me in this place because something special happened to me And I always just have this special coming back, homecoming, um, whether you were part of that group or not. But uh, if for no other reason, I want to come here and give Millie Jarvis a hug. And uh, just be inspired. You know why we want to give her a hug? Because it was her birthday yesterday. Oh, was she 91? Uh, No, she's 51. That's right. Would you mind if I interrupted you and we all sing happy birthday to Millie? Come on, right now. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Millie. Happy birthday 
accept my apology. Yes. Hey, I, I have a question back there. Does that clock count? Or is that, because I'd like a minute back. I give a minute back. She did it. She, she didn't answer me. Uh, all kidding aside, uh, obviously I'm very comfortable here. I love all of you dearly. And, uh, but I do want to bring one testimony from this past Friday that I experienced with, uh, we had uh, some openings in our chaplaincy on Friday, and so I covered several, and they were all remarkable. But I only have time to bring you one. But I ended up sitting across the table from a former gangbanger uh, and his wife, and this was a young man who was in his early 30s. Um, through living the life that he, he had lived, he grew up in the church. He attended uh, one of the apostolic churches over on Mock Road, which I, I just call that apostolic row. There's just apostolic church after apostolic church in that whole area. It's where they're concentrated. God does a lot of really great things there. And this, this young man, though, became disillusioned because he saw... His experience was filled with so much hypocrisy. And, you know, we hear that a lot. It's true. And it is, a, it's, it's, it's disheartening. But in his case, he just chucked it. He just chucked what he knew about the gospel, even though he had a place in his life where he, he feels that he had accepted Christ and he had certainly a lot of knowledge of God. And as I began to talk to him, I found out he still had several bullets lodged in his body that were inoperable. And he also had, now he had pancreatic cancer. And what was really, is him and I talked, and I shared a little bit of my story because I had a, I had a, a, a pretty wayward story myself in terms of being in the church, but not leaving it because they did anything wrong. I just wanted to do wrong. But there was a point where I did decide to follow Christ, and at that point, I didn't look back. There was a point where he got offended, and he didn't look back either. But he took a different path, and it has had a far different result. But I was able to penetrate through just the Holy Spirit. I was able to penetrate this young man's soul, and I really, there was a hook went in there. And him and I are going to meet again. And I just want you to know that, um, and his wife was just, she was just, almost coming out of her body, hearing the things I was sharing. She had wanted to share many of these things with her husband, was not able. Um, he wasn't an angry man, and he wasn't aggressive, but he was definitely on the wrong track. That's what you're investing in. Right. You, you made it possible for me to be there, yeah. or one of our other chaplains to be there, or one of our prayer ministers to be there, or for somebody to get food who later then stumbles onto one of our workers in the choice pantry there getting their food and then something great happens. So uh, receive the fruit of the partnership. We are partners. And, and, and because of that, uh, God will give you that same reward that he'll give everyone else. So thank you for that. Uh, I was going to call this sermon uh, or I didn't know what to call this sermon. And uh, back in the 70s, those of you that are old, old rockers, you may remember the group America, and, the, and they, they wrote a song called Horse With No Name. 
And uh, everybody thought Neil Diamond, or uh, Neil um, Young, thank you, wrote that, but he did not. Amer and I did. But America wrote that song and made it famous in 1971 in Europe and 1972. And I thought, I'm going to call this a sermon with no name. <laughs> but I, uh, I decided to call it Reigning in Life or Not. Uh, Romans 5.17 says, For by one man's offense death reigned, and through that one much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. We are destined to reign in life with Jesus Christ. And I wish I could say that's automatic. The reality of it in the spirit has already happened. You are reigning in life with one Jesus Christ. Whether you get to walk it out or not is whether we decide to walk in it and do what God has laid before us to do to have that be the reality of reigning with Christ. Reigning means to rule as a sovereign. And we've been given such amazing authority and power in Christ that uh, I know we don't completely get it because I don't know how we could. Uh, we're limited in our scope of being able to grasp all that God is doing. But God Almighty himself wants you to be victorious. He wants you to live in peace. He wants you to have joy. Amen. And he, he wants you to occupy until He comes. Yes. And that's out of Luke 19, where it's, it's one of the parables that Jesus told. And, he told. and the servants were told, occupy until I come. And it literally means keep control until you are relieved. Mm. Now, some things are happening in Bible prophecy, uh, if you haven't noticed. And uh, I would love to go off on that right now because it is so thrilling to see what God is doing. Uh, the latest being that a world power recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel in 2017. That has not happened for 2,500 years. It hasn't happened since Cyrus the Great did it 2,500 years ago. That's Bible prophecy being fulfilled. So we do have to keep control. We are going to be relieved. There is a day, maybe not too far away, where we're going to be relieved. That's why it says, while it's called today, work while it's called today, because night comes when no man works. So we are in that season. And uh, how is this actually done? Well, this church is built on this, Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Power, dunamis. This is God's power. And we know that. Um, but knowing this, I've made an observation. Uh, if we have God's power, and we have His authority, and we do, what is the problem with the part of the church of Jesus that aren't walking within it? Like, what's the disconnect? Like, right now, we are being bombarded by uh, radio waves and television waves, and our phones are giving off signals. There's signals everywhere here. But unless you have a receiver and you turn it, you know, uh, to that frequency, you won't hear a thing. But they're here. I can tell you now, based on the authority of God's Word, He is speaking right now. 
He is doing things right now. The Spirit is active right now. But we have to get our receiver tuned in. And God does not give His lightning bolts to amateurs. If He did, we would just blow the place up. We do have to earn our stripes. And we earn a lot of our stripes by being on our face before God, by in the mornings praying simple prayers. Lord, lead me this day. Give me this day my daily bread that I might spread uh, the gospel of the kingdom. And you, you build relationship with Jesus. And you build relationship with God the Father. And then all of a sudden you start to hear the voice of God. Well, I, I look at, uh, I took a little peek in some of the popular demographics from Barna and Pew, and there's one called PRRI, and we know that the church uh, in America and other parts of the world is having a serious decline, um, especially in America, and uh, all the groups identifying as Christians. In fact, in 2019, 4,500 churches closed, and only 3,000 churches were founded. So there was a net loss in 2019 of 1,500 churches. Um, I think we know this. I don't think this is a surprise. We've heard these statistics. We know things are changing in the culture. But that's not what concerns me as much as the part of the church that is doing their level best to follow God. But there are still so many bound by fear. And are still leading defeated lives. So... Uh, if so much of the church has become powerless, or actually, they actually really don't look particularly different than the world, we've got a problem on our hands. So I want to point out something about worldviews. Worldviews are really uh, important to understand, especially if you want to you apologetically approach defending your faith. But there are three primary worldviews that I like to talk about. The first one is biblical theism. You are a biblical theist. You believe that there's one God, you're, you're uh, uh, monotheistic. You believe that he's the creator, his son is Jesus Christ, salvation is only through him. You believe that Satan is real, he's not symbolic. And a few other things that make biblical, biblical theism the core of who you are. You believe that the word of God is final authority, which is paramount. It's got to be right at the top. Uh, transcendentalism, um, slightly, not slightly different, very different. Um, transcendentalism is polytheistic. It's birthed out of pantheism. Pan always means all. Theism is God, so it's all God. So pantheists believe that God is in everything, and everything's in God, therefore everything's God. And so that gives way to um, transcendental meditation, Buddhism, Hinduism, New Age, uh, emphasis on consciousness and includes reincarnation and all those kinds of thought. Though that is a very prevalent and attractive uh, paradigm for a worldview for those that don't want to face the reality of a savior whereby you have to humble yourself and bow your knee, right? Don't you have to bend your knee and say, God, you're right and I'm wrong? It's a wonderful day. It's the day when you got born again. It was when you finally bent your stubborn knee. And I remember my day, and I remember being turned inside out by Jesus and never looking back. And how could I come to him if I would not say, yes, Jesus, you're right, and I'm wrong. And when someone can get to that point, they are now ready to accept Christ as Savior. Then there's humanism. These are, these are our atheist friends. Um, they say there's no God at all. 
it's all knowledge. It's, it, man's the center. Um, and the sum of all things is just what you can learn. And really, actually, uh, humanists uh, would be, should be basically the saddest group of all, for they have no hope of any kind. They don't even believe in any kind of consciousness, life after death. It's just we're, we're chemicals worth about $4.75 if you distill it down. It's actually a price tag on your body right now. It's not very high. But then after that, it's over. You're like, you might as well be a frog that gets squashed on the road. So a watered-down or compromised biblical view, uh, worldview, it means that the believer's foundation is built on the sand. Now you might say, well, I'm a biblical theist, and I believe you are. I believe that what I'm sharing here, I'm not sharing this because you're not biblical theist. I'm sharing it because you are. I'm sharing because this is what you believe. And here's the heart of this message. It's to communicate today what I want to communicate today is for the church that basically the mature church. It's a church that is mature. Um, when I look at the church and those that I believe are sold out, the sold out church, I like to be considered sold out. But I see so many living, like I said, powerless, joyless, defeated. Um, they're trying to follow Jesus, but they're failing. And don't misunderstand me. I love the church. I'm the last guy that's going to go around and probably kick anything anymore. I've softened in my older age. I'm, I'm not kicking as much because I don't want to be kicked as much. And, um, but I love the church. But if I had a child and that child was sick, I would do everything in my power to get the child well. Heavenly Father has us as his children and he loves us infinitely more than we could ever love an earthly child, how much more will the Heavenly Father do to make the church healthy and prosperous so that it might fulfill the work of the kingdom and spread it everywhere? But if the joy of the Lord is my strength, and I don't have any joy, let's do the math. <laughs> I don't have any strength. But what really weakens a Christian? Well, let's do the easy things first. Willful sin, that's on the list, right? Rebellion, uh, regular gossiping, strife, unforgiveness. These are, just, these are the easy ones. Um, I think we understand this, and we try to do our best to keep that junk out of our lives, right? That's a... Right? right? I mean, <laughs> right. I hope Dead. you're scaring me. <laughs> yeah. Ah, thank you. Taking notes. We'll, we're going to write that off as taking notes. How about, how about not guarding your heart and mind, right? I mean, things can go really bad uh, if you don't guard your heart and your mind. This is why 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, God has not given you a spirit of fear. There is a spirit of fear. He's not given you that. Right. He's given you a spirit of love, power, and a sound and well-balanced mind. So it's a sound and well-balanced mind. That's what we have. Let's walk in that. Um, what if we don't count God's word as final authority? Uh, again, we're back to this very, very tenuous and bad place of having a house built on the sand. And we all know that that house uh, collapses. How about focus? We take our eyes off of what's critically important to the Lord. Now you know where I'm headed with this if you know me. What's critically important to the Lord? People. I mean, people. Everything God does is for people. 
God so loved the world. What's the world, people? He didn't, he didn't love uh, the, the mountains, the valleys. The, he's talking about, he does love that, but he's talking about people. And if we take our eyes off of the people he wants to help and save, we've lost a very, very big part of the rallying point where God will come around us because if you get busy doing what's important to God, you make it important to you, you're going to get God's attention. And as you move forward, God's going to be there because you have said, I want your focus to be my focus. But again, like I said just a second ago, I'm not sharing this because you personally may be falling short in this area, but I'm sharing it because you're not. Because you see, it says in Second Peter, brothers, strive to make your calling and election sure. I don't know if we all understand this. I think we do, but um, the reality is we are never going to be able to relax. I wish I could just relax. And I mean spiritually relax. I don't mean not quit reading the Bible or quit praying. I just know that right now I've got a two-edged sword in my hand. And it cuts both ways. And God's got me out there using it. And I have to use it because uh, I'm in the battle. There's times I wish I wasn't in the battle. And that doesn't mean there aren't places where God takes you aside. But that striving looks like this, where it says strive to make your calling and election sure. The strongest part of the church, the most mature part of the church, is also the biggest target for Satan's devices. Let me read that again. The strongest part of the church is the target for Satan's devices. He walks about seeking someone to devour. His favorite prey is a sold-out believer. But he just can't walk in and kick the furniture over. So don't, let's not get a picture of a big old devil here. But he's cunning, and he waits for opportunity. He looks for a weak link. He, he tries to take advantage and opportunity. That's why it says, um, don't let the sun go down on your anger, lest you give place to the devil. There is a way to give place to him. There's also a way not to give place to him. What's he after? Does he want to steal, kill, and destroy? Of course he does. Does he want to deceive, manipulate, and control you? Heck yeah. He's cunning. He looks to drain the church, though, of Jesus, of its power, by attacking the believer's power supply. And it's the living, active Word of God in your life. Satan hates you, sure. But what he's really concerned about is God working, God's Word working in you. And if God's Word is not working in your life, you're really of little threat to Him. If God's Word is working in your life, then just like it says in Peter, be vigilant, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's James. But I mixed it up. It says in Hebrews 4.12 that the Word of God is living. It's powerful. This is God's Word in our lives. So, that's the introduction. 
Did you show him what I put on that paper? That was a joke, kind of. I want to reference Mark 4 in the sower sows the word. I'm not going to take time to read it all. I think most of us are familiar. If you're not, read it multiple times. It will bless you. But the sower sowing the word, the sower's throwing the seed. Stony ground, shallow soil, thorns, and there's different results. But look what it says when Jesus gives the explanation. He says, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside, and Satan comes immediately and takes away the word. That's his job. That's Satan's goal, take away the word. He doesn't come immediately to hit you in the head. He comes to take away the word. Look at Jesus in the, uh, uh, the desert, and he was in the 40, after a 40-day fast, or he was in a 40-day fast, and he was tempted of the devil, and the devil was trying to get the word, and Jesus answered it with the word. The devil used the word. Jesus answered it with the word. It's always about the word of God. When Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living, we've got to, we, we need to marinate in that a little bit. We need to go, it's living, it's alive. If I read it, I'm engaging in something that's living. And God's word is feeding me. Um, and then it starts to grow in you. And then you start to be able, you start to be able to act and start to be able to walk in it because it's living. But then it's also powerful. It's living, it's powerful, it's sharp, it's the two-edged sword. It's the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 5, um, 6. And it is, it is the Word of God. But as we consider that parable, it also moves down to this one. This is the one that I really wanted to focus on just for a minute. Verse 18, it says, These are the ones sown among thorns, and they hear the Word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in choke the word. This is the part that is the burden on my heart. I'm seeing the cares of the world affecting many awesome, good, God-loving believers, but it is having the same effect. It is choking the word. And when the word gets choked, then it says you'll be unfruitful. God's big on being fruitful. Now, that doesn't mean He's going to love any of us any less if we start to worry, if we break down, if we get our eyes off of Him. He's not going to love us any less. In fact, He'll come to our aid. He'll support us. He'll try to put wind back in our sails and bring us back to where we need to be. But the outcome is still that the, that the, the Word gets choked by the cares of life. And then if it's left unchecked, it just goes from bad to worse. Let me, take a, let me just take a second here and talk about worrying. If worrying was a professional sport, some of us would be the most valuable player. <laughs> I, I told Janice some of this that I was sharing, and she goes, oh my gosh, Lloyd. She goes, you're talking to everybody. <laughs> it's hard not to worry sometimes, especially the nature of what comes at you. Think about your, just your life. You don't have to think about mine, but I can tell you that 
I might get hit by something that involves a family member. There, there are 15 in my family, counting me, and that's a lot of people where something can go wrong, or something can do wrong, or something can just go wrong. It, it's a lot of people that there can be some sort of a physical affliction attack, or things that can just burden you, or it, maybe they get attacked. They're just, just that one. Well, then I've got Victor Ministries, and <laughs> something can definitely go wrong. And uh, then there's maybe just other places where I have plenty of opportunity to be tempted to worry, but I know, I know I can't give, give in to that, or else it's going to uh, end up being the thing that works against me. For instance, worry means to torment oneself with cares and anxieties. No one's doing it to you. You're doing it to yourself. Worry means to torment oneself with cares and anxieties. And we're doing it to ourselves. When we worry, we allow our minds to get wrapped around a difficult circumstance, right? I mean, they're real. I'm not talking about, we're not making this up. It's not fantasy. This is real life, but we get our minds wrapped around stuff. Uh, I've had things get in that sometimes took weeks to get out. I'm cutting the grass. I'm thinking about it. I'm doing this or that. I'm thinking about it. I'm rehearsing imaginary conversations. Am I, I'm probably the only one that has ever rehearsed an imaginary conversation, right? It's all negative. It all works against me. But I'm going to share just a, a two-minute teaching out of 1 Kings 19, verse 2. And uh, this is one of my favorite of all passages. Elijah has just killed the 800 prophets of Baal. I can't even imagine what that must have looked like or what it must have been like, but Elijah did this uh, amazing, powerful thing, and he killed all those prophets. Well, Ahab, being the little weenie that he is, he runs to Jezebel, and he tells all that Elijah has done. I mean, Ahab won't do anything unless, unless Jezebel gives him permission. So he says how he executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, Jezebel is saying, let it, let it be done to me by the gods and more if I do not make your life as one of these by tomorrow this time. Look what happened in verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. Jezebel said it, but Elijah saw it. Elijah took the thought. Elijah, uh, even after all that he had done, maybe he was in that period of letdown. I know what letdown's like after a great victory. They're just, you got to fight that place of letdown. So I'm not going to be hard on Elijah unless I'm going to be hard on myself. But I do know what Elijah did. He let Jezebel get in his head. And I often share with people when they are talking to me about a particular problem, and I know it's an imagination, I say, Jezebel is already in your head. 
You've got to get Jezebel out of your head. You've got to get that lie out of your head. Because until you do, you know what you're going to do? You're going to worry. You're going to obsess over it. It's going to, you're going to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and there it is. That's probably another thing that never happens to any of you. just happens to me. That at that weak point at 3 in the morning, for some reason, the devil likes 3 in the morning. Sometimes 4. Occasionally 2. But there are those thoughts. And I'm weak and I'm tired. I'm not... I'm not the man of God with faith and power. I just want to sleep. But those thoughts are there. And I've had to learn how to, even in that twilight, grab that stuff and shut it up. And just say, and if I say nothing else, I go, well, you know, devil, you just go back to the pit. This stuff will be here in the morning. We'll talk then. But I'm going back to sleep. And I have been able to gain victory in that. But I'm not denying that these battles that we face, these things are real. We tend to worry about things that matter most to us, right? Um, uh, but it's also the place sometimes where it's hardest for us to trust God and uh, get a little bit of extra pressure, maybe a lot more stress, and the next thing you know, we're worrying about the things we're stressed about. Be work, friend, family, some other random thing, but again, we have to make sure we do not let Jezebel get in our head. Imagine worry as a fire. The more you worry, and the, wor- the more worry occupies your thoughts, you just keep putting fuel on the fire. What that means is sometimes it's going to have to get dealt with, and what that means is somewhere along the line, we're going to have a bigger deal to deal with. We're going to have a bigger fire to deal with because we didn't, we didn't shut it down. Uh, sometimes if I'm struggling, I've got a multitude of things. Maybe I've got three or four serious things. I just stop sometimes every half hour, 45 minutes, and I just yield everything to the Lord. I go, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I, 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 I'm just not going to go there. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to obsess over this. It says in um, uh, Philippians, Right? Be, be anxious for nothing, but instead pray. There's our key. Be anxious for nothing, but instead pray. So something's coming against you. It's real. It scares you. It upsets you. That's all, that's all very, very real. But stop and pray. About 13 years ago now, something happened to Janice and I. It was very serious and uh, to someone we love. And when it happened, I couldn't pray. I just, I was like a duck hitting the head. I, I couldn't pray. I just was stunned. And I remember sitting down uh, with my pastor and sharing, and I shared that with him, and he just ministered to me. But I saw a look in his eye where I think he wanted to say more, but he was trying to be careful because he didn't want to maybe put a burden on me that I really do need to pray. But since then, I've also gone through equally challenging times, and the first thing I do now is pray. 
I just drop to my knees. I just start to pray. When I'm in shock, I pray. When I can't believe it happened, I pray. When I'm crying, I pray. And so, as long as we're learning how to navigate life, Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. Great promise. Since, since it ends, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Whatever you're facing, He's overcome. No matter what it is, He's already overcome it. Many times, this is a different sermon, but many times we're going to God and asking Him to do things He's already done. Like, for instance, if you mentioned, uh, this is something I thought I was going to maybe develop into a sermon, which was praying for lost loved ones. But the Lord took me in a different direction. But we pray for our lost loved ones, and sometimes what we're doing is we say, we, we, you know, God, save our lost loved one. Or God, we're, we're asking God to do all these things. Well, the last time I checked, 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross, and everything your lost loved one needs to be saved is right there. The problem isn't God here, right? What is the problem? Well, according to 2 Corinthians, their minds are blind. It says their minds are blind to see the light of the gospel. So we have to learn as we go along how to pray right. Jesus taught us that worrying was futile. It benefits no one. It only hurts you. He taught us that worrying was unnecessary because God's got you. He says he's going to take care of birds and he's going to take care of flowers. Won't he take care of you? And what does he say? Oh, ye of little faith. It's always faith with, with Jesus. It's always faith with Jesus. We want to make it something else, but I can tell you right now, it's always faith with Jesus. Uh, uh, heal my son if you can. And he goes, if I can. He goes, if you can believe. You ever catch that in Mark 9 or, or Matthew 9? The, the, the father says, your disciples couldn't heal my son. If you can. And Jesus goes, well, if you can believe. He goes, Okay, I believe, according to your faith. Why did Jesus say according to your faith if it wasn't according to your faith? If it was according to your need, for instance. According to your need, be it done unto you. That doesn't, that's not right. We'd all have all our needs met all the time. According to what's fair, be it done unto you. I wish that one was right. No, it's according to your faith. That's why working on our faith is of paramount importance. So if I kind of touch on just some worry exposes what our devotion is really to. Now that's one that's going to mean we're going to have to accept the responsibility that if we're worrying, it's our fault. And what are we really, what are, what, where is our heart? Where our heart is, that's where our treasure will be. Um, Worrying probably, in some cases, if you struggle, there's going to have to be a retraining. Right. Like, start replacing uh, replacement therapy. Right. <laughs> start replacing the fear. Even if you feel fear just coming out your eyeballs, replace the fear with confessions of faith. Mm-hmm. Just start speaking the word. Just start saying the word of God. Eventually, you're going to build yourself up and there's going to be a change. 
Somebody mentioned this this morning about living a grateful life. Thank God. Find something to thank God for. If you can't thank Him for the sunshine, thank Him for the rain. I mean, thank Him for something and get, and get a grateful thing going. Most grateful people have more joy than people who are not grateful. Um, and remind yourself that when I'm worrying, I'm not trusting God. And at that moment, faith has stopped. And we don't want faith to stop. Hasn't God said he would protect, lead, guide, provide, give wisdom, comfort, be there at all times, heal, defend, and an entire multitude of other promises? Do we believe him? Can we trust him? And, um, of course, the answer is yes. We weren't born to be warriors. We were born to be warriors. We weren't born to be warriors. We were born to be warriors. So, here's like my little synopsis. I almost feel like singing the song, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Remember that song from Children's Church back when it was a little bit different a few years ago, 45 years ago, flannel boards. Uh, (laughs) But Christianity is so simple. I didn't say easy, necessarily, but it's so simple. We need help misunderstanding it. If we were to read our Bible, be in God's Word, and not just the black or the red ink on the page, but I mean we spend time there, and we let some of this stuff marinate, and I like to call it camping out over scriptures. I really enjoy camping out over scriptures I don't understand, or that they look like they contradict themselves. I like to just, I like to just camp out there, and then just let the Holy Spirit talk to me over a period of days or weeks then this becomes spirit and life. Then this all of a sudden becomes your go-to for everything. Uh, I had a challenge this uh, past couple of weeks uh, over at the ministry. And uh, what I like to do when I have a few minutes here and there is I like to watch uh, uh, little YouTube Civil War documentaries. And um, I know more about the Civil War than one person should know. And I just, or the Battle of Midway. (laughs) I just enjoy it. I enjoy history, and I like military history. But what I started doing is I realized, you know, I'm, I'm having some struggles. So I took my, my discretionary time with the Civil War, and I just plugged in a faith teacher that I listened to that I like. And I just, uh, on the way to work back every day now for a couple of weeks, the, on the 20 minutes there, the 20 minutes back, Um, another guy that preaches faith. Find the teachers that you connect with and just feed on that stuff. And if nothing else, just take the U version of the Bible and just play it. The U version of the Bible is from heaven. I don't know if you know that, but the U version of the Bible is from God. And it's the most amazing app you could ever have. Having said that, stay full of God's word. Feed on it. And if something interrupts your schedule, Lord knows that happens all the time, Get back to it that day. Instead of chilling and watching something that you want to watch, make sure you get that time in the Word. Because I can tell you the devil's not taking the vacation. He's not on vacation when you are. 
So we shouldn't, in other words, just don't let your guard down. Just keep it up. If you know there's somebody could be hiding in the bushes, you don't let your guard down, do you? When you're tempted to fear or worry, take all that stuff captive. Just cast it down. Say it out your mouth. Um, speak it. I mean, sometimes you just have to say it. Instead of worrying, pray and worship and worship and worship. And, 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 you know, when you're alone, you feel more comfortable, do a little jig around the bedroom. I mean, get happy with God, and you can get set free. I like... I like uh, um, Thank you. I like Ian's uh, exuberance and, and the, the, the dance he did this morning. I thought, I haven't been in a church lately where they're, they're dancing. <laughs> and, and if you know, I think God likes that. I think it also sets us free. I agree. Speak the desired end result, not the problem. You know, that's a big one. You've got to be careful. You just keep speaking the problem, speaking the problem, speaking the problem. You know, my, my boss is a jerk. My boss is a jerk. My boss is a jerk. It's not going to work. I love my boss. I love my boss. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to work on him. I have favor. That's how we ought to talk, right? Always praise. Always trust. Laugh at the devil. I, I mean, the, the devil's real, and he's persistent. But every once in a while, we all just laugh at him. We, we, know, we all probably know the story of Smith Wigglesworth, right? Smith Wigglesworth, the, the great Welsh uh, uh, preacher who was a plumber in, in the 60s, just started turning the world upside down, raised the dead on four continents. He had a vision one night. A devil was at the foot of his bed. He had an open vision. And he rolled over and he looked at him and he went, Oh, it's only you. And he pulled the covers back. And went back to sleep. Whoa. If we had seen a vision of the devil, we would have been on the fried chicken circuit for the next three years telling the story about seeing the devil. Now, if this story's true, I don't know for sure if it's true or if it's folklore, but I love it. The point is well made. And finally, here's my final point. Never give up. You, you may not be able to walk in this. Amen. That's a good place to clap. You, you may never walk. You may not be able to walk perfectly in this right away. Make an effort. Start to guard your mind. And then understand, like, it's just, it's, look at the time you could be investing in something productive. Right. If exactly. you could hang that worry thing up. Yes. Um, have some fun with it. Take that. Take that worry thing and act like it's, it's a little box. And you go, worry, I'm putting you on the shelf for now. I'll be back later. But right now, I'm going to play with my grandchildren, and I'm not going to be thinking about this. Right, exactly. Because it gets strong in there sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. And the devil knows the stuff that can get to us. Especially family is really a tough one, right? And I probably don't need to say anymore, and I won't say anymore, but... The rules are still the same. Right. And victory is there. Yes. So if you would stand with me, I don't get your clock at all, Pastor Dwight. It, it just kept going up, so I thought, I have 81 minutes. <laughs> does, that mean, does that mean from the time service started? Or? Well, you know, Lloyd, it's kind of like, you know, when I say to people, 
How many of you would just give me five more minutes? And then, you know, five, ten, fifteen. Uh -huh. That's it's just it's a beautiful it? Does thing. that work here? Yeah, it's a beautiful oh. thing. <laughs> well, I took my liberty. No, I, I, I appreciate being able to always be here. Thank you, uh, Pastor Dwight and Tammy, for asking me to come. And let's, let's have kind of a, a prayer together of consecration. Yeah. And uh, anything that I have shared with you today it applies to me as well. And I want victory all the time in this area because I know it, it, the devil's a thief. And I don't want to give him anything anymore. Amen? Father, we are going to consecrate ourselves before you today to receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit to walk free from the cares of life. We know they're there, but we know you've overcome. You've overcome the world. And the victory that overcomes the world is even our faith. Yeah. We're putting our faith in you. I pray for each man, woman, child in this room, and also those that they influence. Yeah. Uh, this may not have been exactly for them, but I know it probably was somebody for somebody they know. Maybe there's a mother or a brother or somebody needs to, to just be encouraged through the word of God that you can live above this anxiety. But retrain us in our spirits. Yes. Check us when we go down the wrong path. Yes. And when we face trouble, yes, Jesus. help us to be able to lift that up to you right away. Yes. And give it to you right away and then find out what you want us to do. You're not asking us to ignore it. You're just instructing us not to worry about it and to trust you. We're going to commit to do that today. We're going to trust the Lord today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.